Welcome to Teaching Brood. Uh, this is actually a re-release of part two of our uh, podcast about the recruitment process and recruitment fairs and how that whole thing goes. We filmed this last year, um, but nothing's really changed. Not really. Um, but what is a little bit new and different is the fact that after we had released that and I went through my whole job hunting process. Um, This year, we are about to release a bonus episode about um, some of the schools that are around the world and possibly recruiting. And you're going to hear from the people who work in the schools and all of the positive things that they have to say about them. Yeah, it's a world where we need more positivity. Uh, The sites that tend to talk about schools are often filled with negativity. So it's good to hear the positives straight from the horse's mouth. So if you're currently recruiting, make sure you check out that bonus episode because, hey, maybe you'll get an idea to apply to that school. Have fun. Enjoy. Teaching Brood. Today we're going to pick up right where we left off and talking about international teaching. We kind of went through job fairs and the stuff that you're going to have to do after you sign your contract, but we skipped over a really major part. And that big part is, once you've actually got your job, what to expect out of different levels of schools. I'm going to call them levels of schools. And this is a very arbitrary ranking that is typically done by fellow international educators, admittedly. Um, No rubrics involved. No, definitely not. And we're also going to kind of get into um, what you might expect in terms of your headspace when you move to that, when you move to different schools. It doesn't matter if it's your first, second, or third, or fourth time. It gets easier and easier, but anyways. Um, So the first thing we want to talk about is this. Just like at the private schools back around the world, international schools have reputations. If you ever hear of a really good international school versus a really bad international school, it's almost strictly done based on word of mouth. There's no assignment, there's no rubric to it, there's no way of officially scoring it or judging it. You can have, you know, standardized tests coming out the coming out your ears, but doesn't prove the quality of the school. It's true. And so with these rankings, there are ways to find out people's opinions. Yes. And just like with alternative facts and social media and all that kind of stuff, you really need to do your research and you really do need to get multiple sources before you form your opinion. Yes. Um, and there's a, there's a kind of a generic thing that you can expect with the various quote-unquote tiers of schools. Uh, and we don't say, we don't mean that you're in tiers, we mean T-I-E-R-S mm. as opposed to T-E-A-R-S. Um, and there, these are very non-official. Uh, we won't be referring to any schools specifically by Lawsuit. name. Um, yeah, libel. Um, but um, just generally. So a few things that you can look for uh, to see what kind of a school it is. So let's start with everybody's favorite topic, tech. Um, tech, there's no real set as to whether it's a bottom tier or upper tier school with regards to tech. 
you might find better tech in, in, in bigger in tier one schools simply because their budgets are bigger. Yep. So that's the only thing to keep in mind. But you will find a lot of smaller schools and or kind of quote unquote lower tier schools might have decent tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't like the tech isn't. It can be a judge on the tier, but often not. One of the bigger differences you'll often find is whether, for tech is with regards to whether it's a for-profit or not-for-profit school. Mm. A for-profit school is typically created by business people to make money. A not-for-profit, so basically any extra money that's made um, or isn't used with the budgets Gets. goes to the goes to the business to yeah. the business people. Which is the same as what would happen in. A business. Yeah. But in a not-for-profit, then those funds will be put back into the school in one form or another. Yeah. So generally speaking, you find uh, not-for-profit schools are, have a more have a bigger budget and thus better resources because any extra money doesn't go to profit someone else it goes right back into the school for improvements yes now having said that that doesn't actually mean that you have that for-profit schools are automatically lower down on the tiers no it really doesn't matter of fact a lot of the bigger schools in this in this world the tier ones are actually not for-profit schools as a matter of fact I'm trying to think of one that is a for-profit school and I can't I think all the top tier schools that I can think of are not for profits. Mm. But you can still have an excellent career at a for profit school, so that's not necessarily a reason to rule them no, out. No, it's true. Don't you rule could them get, out. You could get some really good professional development. Yes, you could. So at a tier one school, the ones that I can think of, they're all one to one. Yeah, typically, technologically speaking, You'll find them one-to-one in some given capacity, whether that's iPads, MacBooks, Chromebooks, whatever. Yeah. Um, they also tend to have very large PD budgets. They have large PD budgets. They have large, they'll have ex- extra facilities like studios. Um, they'll have several specialist rooms, several specialist teachers. You typically find them also having more access to learning support and more access to enrichment support. Um, because that ends up being kind of what's needed. Yes. Tier one schools are also typically huge. Yeah, huge. We're talking eight to ten classes, if not more, one of which you can think of as 13, 14. Per per grade. grade. So just think about that. If you're in, I mean, when I started teaching in my public schools in Canada, we had, like, we were a big school, and we had, are you ready for this? three classes at some grade levels and the rest of the grade levels were two classes per grade level. Yeah. Now I'm at a school where I've got ten classes per grade level. Um, So you you do find that a lot of these schools because of these student populations because that have more money so more money to go to the school. And because most of them tend to be um, not-for-profits that large amount of money they got goes into new facilities PD budgets technology, etc. Mm-hmm. So, they're tier one reputation-wise for a reason. The other thing you get with that, though, is you also get better contracts for the teachers, because they're trying to attract more high-quality, more experience, more degrees, mm-hmm. more they've done different things in the previous schools they've been at. The quality of the teaching should improve. So, at a tier one school, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, their bare minimums for hiring is a master's degree. Yeah, and typically five to seven years of international 
teaching experience. That being said, if you're really good and you haven't gone internationally yet, you'll find a tier one school might pick you up. But you're typically looking, you either have done something absolutely extraordinary in your first five years, or they're not getting anywhere near it until you've had about 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Um, so the tier school, tier two schools look very similar to a tier one school. Except they tend to be a bit smaller, slightly less resourced, uh, depending on which one it is. Reputation-wise, there might be like a higher turnover of the staff, the package might not be quite as good, or it could be in a city or country that is not as desired as some of the bigger ones. Some people might even call it a hardship posting. Yes. Um, typically, if you're looking into Africa, mm -hmm. South America, uh, many parts of Asia, you will find those are tier one, sorry, tier two, tier three schools. Um, in Asia, we have a slew of tier ones, but they are typically in the bigger centers. Your Tokyo's, your Singapore's, your Beijing, Shanghai, Hong uh, Kong. Hong Kong. Um, so just be aware of that. Yes. Now, that being said, just because it's a perhaps a country that's tougher to live in doesn't mean it's not a tier one. Um, there's a there's one or two countries I can think of that have some good that have a really good tier one school, but the country tends to be a bit of a hardship post. Exactly, or it could be just a really boring place to live. Uh, yes, yes, it could be. <laughs> um, we're chuckling because we both come from one um, at some point. Um, anyways, so the tier two schools population slightly less. Resources slightly less, contract still pretty good. Yep. Oftentimes is a great. Uh, you'll find a lot of people often settle into a nice tier two school for a while. Oh yeah. Because it's cozy. Yeah, they can easily do five, six years there. Yeah, and the other, and typically you'll find tier one schools. People settle in pretty easily, but it's also typically the tier ones. The big drawback to them is they're high pressure. Yes. You're typically expected long hours, a lot of parent contact time. You're expected to go way above and beyond the typical. Yeah. So that tends to be what the biggest difference is and why people, you'll find a lot of people burn out on tier one schools. So tier three and four. Um, your tier three schools have been around for a little bit of time. Population's typically under a thousand uh, in terms of students, and that would go like, you know, kindergarten to grade 12. Uh, less resource contracts are pretty decent. Country may or may not be easy to live in. Um, and when I say easy to live in, that's a very um, opinion-based thing. Oh, it sure is, because your easy is not somebody else's easy. No, absolutely not. If someone was born and raised in, say, New Delhi, versus someone like myself who was born and raised in Canada, my version of easy is often very different from that person's version of easy. Yeah, and also the kinds of things that you're into. Are yeah. you the party animal, or are you the person that wants to perfect the bum groove on the couch? Right. Um, and that totally changes. Are you a person who likes cold, or are you a person who likes hot? Do you like seasons? Do you not like seasons? So It really does affect your decisions. Yes, and you'll find that your ability to target a Tier 3 school will be more worldwide than a Tier 1 or t than a Tier 1. Tier 1s are in very specific places. Yes. Tier 3s are all 
all over the world. And same with Tier 4s. Yep. A Tier 4 is probably a new school. Yes, typically very small populations, probably under the 500 mark. Uh, might even be growing to a point where they don't have certain grades yet. They might be like only as high as grade 6 and they're slowly moving their way up. Yep, exactly. They will, they will have probably adopted someone's curriculum from another country, typically from the States, Canada or the UK, is what the norm is, or Australia. Um, or they cherry pick and they might be using New Zealand maths with American English Readers Writers Workshop with, you know. A yeah, it depends on where the admin and the head of school are coming from and what they prefer. Yep. And that will often determine the direction of it. You will find turnover in the tier three, four schools in the ballpark of 30 to 50% per year. That's typically because either the country is tough to live in for the crowd who went. Uh, there might be a turnover in the head of school, there might be turnover in the principal of a certain division, or the contracts are a bit lacking because, you know, small population, thus smaller contract. So, there's, and there's a host of different reasons why a tier four, tier three school might be where they are for what they are. And we're not saying it's bad, we're just saying that's the situation they are in. You can still have a perfectly good classroom and a really nice time at a tier four school. You certainly can. Don't let us and, and, and that don't let you don't let us jade you into thinking you must target tier one schools. No, trust me, they can they can stress you out. Absolutely. Yeah. But, so here's a question: People that are listening to this are probably not international educators. They're probably wanting to become international educators. They've just listened to us talk for ten minutes about. Uh, tier one, two, three, four, and they're saying, "Great, but how do I find this out? Okay. Where do I go for this?" And this is the huge hitch. I mean, because most of this is unrecorded and a lot of hearsay. What you do find is you've got to put your ear to the start to put your ear to the international world. Use social media. If you know, if you're on Twitter, and you can, it's not hard to find international educators. Uh, if you find Teaching Brood, you will find most of our followers are international educators. So hop on to Teaching Brood and yep. start following people. You can also go to the school's Twitter feeds. Yep. You can see the kinds of things they're tweeting about. I mean, it's not hard to Google search top international schools in the world. It's not hard to Google search international schools in the world. Um, most international schools these days have really good websites. Mm -hmm. That'll give you a really good idea of the culture. And if you can find the right school that you're looking for, then... And typically, most of these places have an employment section on their websites. Yep. And complete with shiny videos. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Been involved in those in the past. So it's, it's one of these things where it's a process of getting to know which schools are which. Yep. And oftentimes, there are schools you've never heard of that are absolutely phenomenal. They might be just a bit under the radar. Well, especially because you're not out there yet, and you start to learn much more once you're out there in your first school and you're talking to people and they're telling you about the year that they worked in Italy and then that, that person's telling you about when they worked in Russia, and then you start hearing names and you keep hearing similar names over and over and over again. Yeah. The, the school I'm at right now, when I first started teaching in Tokyo, I had no idea who they were, and as of the course of my six, seven years, I really got a better picture of who they were and how awesome they were. So that kind of was the reason I went after them. And you'll find that. You'll find if you run into a school that you really, really love or you 
had experiences with. Maybe you've toured it. Maybe you saw the website and you're like, it seems like an awesome place to work. Maybe you do want to start targeting them. Yeah. Not in like a stalkerish kind of way. That would be creepy. But more along the lines of like getting a feel for are they, is their website who they really are? Absolutely. And the thing is, is that when we talk about targeting a school, you want to get on that school's radar in a not stalkerish way by doing things like, you know, when you're at the job fair, meet the principal. Hey, how you doing? Saw you didn't have a job for me this time. You know, hopefully next time you'll have something. So admit yeah, that, that leads us to that idea of the game. Oh yeah. Now I don't want to delve into this too much because it was a bit it was talked to a little bit about in, in the previous one, but to get but to get better and better schools, you either have to know other educators who will promote you in the school you want to go to, or get to know them through interviews and and then build your way up there. Yeah. Um, and be on the social media feeds. Yes. Tweet out what you're doing. Absolutely. There's a, you know, it. There's so many ways that you could be doing it. Have make sure you've got a presence online, that's professional. Yes. All right. So that's kind of the general idea of what the tiers are for schools. Part three coming, coming up. up. <laughs>